any business in Finley, Ohio, small or large. You could go to you could go to Marathon up to the corporate offices, or over to Cooper. Maybe you were to go to uh, the local donut shop, and all God's people said, amen. "That's right, Amen." <laughs> Donuts are awesome. Or you go to a restaurant, wherever you end up going. It, you wouldn't be able to just go into any office that you want to go into. You wouldn't walk past the counters, go past. There would always be some kind of wall, some kind of desk, a secretary that looks grumpy at you when you walk in. Something stopping you from getting to the person. Are you with me? You would have to, most of the time you have to ask for a manager, right? Most of the time... To get a leader on the phone, you have to go through, a, go through a secretary. You have to get an appointment. You want to talk to the radio show host? You got to go through a call screener. Are you with me? You want to get to the president? You better know somebody. Uh, the larger the organization, the more it's that way, right? The more people that the organization affects, the more people that that entity or institution connects with, um, the harder it is to get to the guy. And it's not necessarily like a bad and evil thing, a conspiratorial thing. Here's something you should know about people. You should know this about yourself. You should know this. It worked perfectly. (laughs) We got them. No. This isn't a conspiratorial thing. You need to know this about you. You need to know this about your leaders. You need to know this about people who are in charge. It's true of all of us. We are finite. We are finite. We are not infinite. Who agrees with me? We are limited. Even the most rich among us, even the most free among us, the most retired with the most time, the most consumed with the smallest kids, no matter what goes on in your life, you and I are finite. We only have so much time, so many uh, resources, so much energy. How many of you have found that you have less energy than you used to have? Yeah, that's right. The bigger the organization, the more potential there is for a desire to access to the leader and the more that walls have to go up because that leader, no matter how great he is, is finite. Do you know, want to know something amazing though? Our God is infinite. He is not finite. You can go to him right now. In fact, we could take a time of prayer just right now, and all of us could talk to him, and he could hear every single one of us. He can love every single one of us, and he can, in his own way, and in his own mind, and in his own heart, answer to the best of his glory and our good, exactly what he needs to answer us and to give us what we need and what we desire. Are you glad for that? I, as a dad, one of the things that's hard sometimes is, is telling our kids an answer they don't want to hear, and there's a very good reason for it, but they don't understand it because they can't understand it because they're kids. And we have a heavenly father who gives us Uh, not always what we want. Aren't you glad for the prayers that didn't get answered? There's some prayers I prayed, some things I wanted at a time that if God would have answered those things for me, I would not be here today. And I'm very glad that I'm here. I'm glad that God had a plan and a purpose 
for that. God is infinite. And what separates us from him is our sin. And he's taking care of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for that today? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And what we've learned, this is the last sermon in Hebrews. I am sad. I think it's 41 sermons we've done to get through this book. And we, we're going to finish it today. Um, but I want to point you back to the beginning. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he made the world. God has revealed himself to us, and now because of the priestly ministry of Jesus, because he's a better sacrifice, because he's a better priest, because of all of these things, you and I, here's the key, here's how we wrap the introduction all together, we can have access to God. We can have access to God. We don't have to go through a secretary. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through some leader. You don't have to go through your mama or your daddy. We can go to God as believers ourselves. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that amazing? We can come boldly to God through prayer because we have access to God. If you know Christ is your Savior, God is your Father. And he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Anybody have any cares this morning that you need God to shoulder? This is a huge deal. Uh, he's like, take my burden and learn of me. My burden is easy. My, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Give me your, your trouble and I'll take it. Today we're finishing up Hebrews chapter 13. And the reason I'm bringing up prayer is because that seems to be the the point of the text. Uh, G, the, the writer of Hebrews comes to a conclusion and he tells those who are reading, those Hebrews and then us as people who it also applies to, to pray, to pray. Because Jesus is greater, we get to pray. We can go to God. You guys are like not shocked by this at all. You have more access to God than to any other person in your life. You have more, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have more access to God than anybody else in your life. How was your last week in terms of talking to God? You have so much access to God. He's done so much for you to be able to do that. And so today, because Jesus is greater, we can pray. We can pray effectively. And I want to talk about two prayer requests for two groups of people that need our prayers. And I'm taking this right from the text. Now, if you have your Bible, grab them. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to get there too. Let's look at this last, this end of this chapter and talk about what he tells us to do. The first group that needs prayer that he refers to here is prayer for leaders. Prayer for leaders. And that is a continuation of what we talked about last week. 
as we looked at last week, the practical teaching of chapter 13 has turned on how we deal with leaders. And he's, he's already called these people who have these leaders, these pastoral leadership and others in the church, and he calls them to, to follow their example. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 7. You got verse 7? Read it with me. You don't have to say it out loud. Just read what it says. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. I'm going to do something unorthodox. I'm going to take off my jacket because I think the static is what's creating it. I have a jacket. Give me credit. Are you with me? Does this feel informal? Okay. Who cares? All right. Verse 7, remember them which have rule over you. Remember them who have spoken to you the word of the God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Conversation here is the word for lifestyle. What he's saying is those who have leadership among you, who have a stewardship of the word of God, who are proclaiming that, those people who know the word of God have a responsibility to live the word of God. And how you ought to follow godly leaders like that is to consider the way they're living and where they're following Christ. Let that inform how you follow Christ, right? So, so follow their example. He also goes on to verse 17 and says, Obey them which have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. So these same people that have a stewardship of uh, of shepherding you through the word of God in the local church have a responsibility. And part of the responsibility that's given here is this, they watch for your souls. That is, they care about what goes on in your life spiritually. As they, and it says this, how do they do it? As they that must give account. What does account mean? Account means, that didn't help, did it? Account means what? It means they're going to one day answer for how they led. What's part of the responsibility? How they cared for those under their shepherding. This is a big deal. They, that, and it says, obey them. Why? That they may do it with joy and not grief, for that is unprofitable for them. Is that what it says? Now, who agrees? If someone's leading and the people that are leading are causing them grief, that's not fun. Right? Anybody ever have kids cause you grief? One time, if I ask you to do something and say, yes, thanks, Dad, I love you. Thanks for giving me everything. I'll go do it immediately because I love taking out the trash. Oh, boy. Does that ever happen? I'm asking because I need to know. I need encouragement. Does it ever happen? Okay. Right. No, it says, for that's unprofitable for you. Why do we ask our kids to take out the trash? Why do we tell them to brush their teeth? Is it for us? Sometimes. But who's it really for? It's for them so that they can grow. Leaders that teach and equip the church have a heavy responsibility. They have a, the accountability of stewarding the word of God and stewarding people. And so once the writer explains that responsibility uh, of what the leader has to do, the stewardship of the word, the stewardship of example, the stewardship of the souls of people, and he begins to explain the attitudes and actions of the believers to obey and submit to the leadership of these leaders, he rightly asks them to do something. Look at what it says in verse 18. Verse 18, ready? Pray for us. Pray for us. 
It sounds like a request, but it's also a command. What's the command? Pray for your leaders. Now, you might be saying, well, Pastor Ben, what a convenient thing for you to pray or for you to preach. I'm preaching it because we got here. It's in the text. But I will say, I need your prayers. I absolutely need your prayers. Miles needs your prayers. Corey needs your prayers. These people that steward the word of God as they teach in Sunday school classes, they need your prayers. The people that are discipling you in discipleship groups, they need your prayers. The, the leaders in our church, the deacons, they need your prayers. We can't do what we do as a church. And when I say we, I mean we. We can't do what we do without prayer. Do you believe that? If what we're doing takes no prayer, what are we doing? If this thing that we're trying to do can be done by human means, we'll get human results. We need results that come from God. Do you agree with that? We need prayer. So this is the first part of where I get the first point of the sermon. He asked them to pray. Are you praying for the spiritual leaders in your life? I hope you have a Sunday school teacher. I hope you have a discipleship group leader at some point. Students, you have a youth pastor. You have leaders. You have parents. Are you praying for those people? Now, you might ask, what do, the, what do leaders need prayed for? What, what is it that they need to be prayed about? It's honestly the same things you need prayer for, but he, he references them here towards leaders, towards pastors, towards these people who steward the word of God and shepherd people. And so in this text, he makes a great statement. And let me just give you some of these requests. Number one, pray for their character. Pray for their character, okay? This particular request from the author came after he spoke of the leader's responsibility to steward their example and their calling as someone who's going to be held accountable. And in the text, he makes a great statement. Look at the next phrase. For, he says, pray for us, for we trust we have good, a good conscience. Now, in reference to being an example, acting like Christ, watching over the souls, he says that his belief is that he, the author, this preacher, who may be the Apostle Paul, I don't know, but he's saying he believes, and of course, here's what we believe about the Bible, that Holy men of old, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the author humanly wrote this, but also the Spirit wrote this. Okay? This is the word of the Holy Spirit as it was moved, as it moved in the human author. So who wrote Hebrews? The author of Hebrews wrote Hebrews. It may be Paul. We don't know. Who wrote Hebrews? The Holy Spirit wrote Hebrews. And when the author says in chapter 13 that I, we trust we have a good conscience, that is a testimony of the Holy Spirit about that person who says, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Who thinks that's a great thing for a leader to be able to say? That, that the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, as best, he's not saying he's perfect. He's saying he has a good conscience and good character in this way, Right? He's saying, we trust we have a good conscience. In reference to being an example and to doing all these things, he's not claiming to be perfect, but he's saying he has a conscience void of conviction on this point. What a great thing to say. 
He tells of a high standard to which they're to pursue. And then he says their conscience is clear in these matters. He also says something about their attitudes. Look at what it says next. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live. What's the next word? Honestly. The word here for honestly means that there's a transparency to their lives. That the way that they live in private and the, and the way they act in public are not against themselves. Right? That, the, that who they are in private and who they are in public are the same person. Integrity comes from a word, same word we get, integer. What's an integer? What is an integer other than hard to say? An integer is a whole number. Whole, no fraction. Do you get it? Where they are here and where they are here are the same. And so, do godly leaders need integrity? Do they need character? And in the church, if they don't have it, what happens? It hurts the church, it hurts them, they lose their ministry. So where is Satan gonna attack? In, in that guy's life, in that, in that person's life, where's he gonna attack? He's gonna attack at the point of their character. As someone called to leadership in the church, this is a request I long for you to pray for leaders in our church. Pray that our lives would match what we are teaching. Pray that we are saying that what we are saying and how we are living in the world match in such a way that we would have a good conscience. Pray that we can do our job with joy. Pray that we will want to, in all things, live honestly, live with transparency. This is an incredibly, incredibly important point and something that is necessary in the church. There is a desperate need, can I tell you, there is a desperate need for qualified and passionate leadership in the local churches of our country. Can I be so bold as to ask you that even though you may not go to other Bible-believing churches in our city, who agrees we need good, solid Bible-believing churches in our city? We do. And, and, and it would be bad if those pastors were devoid of character. I think it's not bad to pray for other pastors. Pray, pray for other pastors. We're not in gangs. Mad at each other. The ones who were on God's mission, preaching Christ crucified, coming again, they need our prayers. And so we ought to pray on a regular basis, on a regular basis. I hear about leaders who mess up and lose their ministry. And the Bible is clear about what the qualifications are of a leader in the church. There are two sets of qualifications that are named. Uh, one for bishops, bishops, elders, and pastors are three titles for the same office. And they have one set of qualifications. They have a second set of qualifications for deacons. Let me read them to you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at these. Ready? Okay. I'm making a case for character. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It'll also be on the screen, but I want you to read it along with me. Here's what it says. 1 Timothy 3, 1. This is the Apostle Paul. He's teaching Timothy, his son in the ministry, and says, hey, I want you to set elders over to help set up elders in all these churches. And so you better know what the elder ought to be. 
okay? What this bishop, this overseer, what should his life look like, okay? Verse, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a, a bishop, episkopos, overseer, he desireth a good work. It's a good thing to be a bishop, right? That's what he's saying. It's a good thing to be a pastor. It's a good thing to be an elder. A bishop then must be, what is it? Blameless. That is the overarching umbrella term for all of the other qualifications. Blameless does not mean sinless. Blameless does not mean perfect. It it is this, that they are people of integrity. Interestingly, the next thing he says, it says the husband of one wife. Okay, so is is the bishop a male or a female? Just said it out loud. Okay. A husband of one wife. In the Greek, it's three words. One, literally translated, one woman man. One woman man. This is not about marital status as much as it is about the kind of person that they are, that they're blameless. Let me ask you this. If a single guy is given over as an unmarried man, is given over to lust like crazy, is that guy, even though he's not married, a one-woman man? His character is not such that he's given, like, his life. God's plan for sex and marriage is one man and one woman for life. Let me say it again. God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman for life. That's God's plan. And it takes a certain kind of character to be the kind of person who stays with a one woman and is faithful to her in the way they live for life. Who agrees with me? Right. So this is not like a marital status, like the the bishop has to be married. It's saying he's got to be the kind of guy who can commit to one woman and be committed to her for a lifetime. Without, without being unfaithful, by being a man of integrity. Who agrees with me? He goes on. By the way, yeah. He goes on. Vigilant, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. Here's an interesting one. Apt to teach. Part of the job of the bishop, elder, pastor is to teach, to use the word of God. So he's got to be able to do that. Verse 3, not given to wine. So not a drunkard, no striker. This is not someone who's aggressively aggressive in their in their in the they're always fighting with people. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Like if if you're doing what you're doing to make money, you're in it for the wrong reason. Patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how, she, how shall he take care of the church of God? Um, for those God has called to lead in ministry, one of the places that Satan attacks is attacking the marriage and the home. And so I, I would ask, once someone steps out to teach a Sunday school class, once they step out to, to do a discipleship group, once they step out to teach and to, to pastor and to do all these things, um, pray for them, pray for their character, pray for their marriage, pray for their kids. I'm asking you in an unashamed way, could you please pray for people like that? 
Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Not, it says, then you're not a novice, uh, lest being filled up with pride he fall into condemnation of them. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So th- there you go. Then he says in verse 8, this now, now he gets to the deacons. It's essentially the same list except for one thing. I want you to see which one it is. Verse 8, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. You know what that means? They say what they mean and they mean what they say. They're not gossips, right? Not given to much wine, not drunkards, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience and let them also first be proved. That's like saying they're not a novice, right? Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be one woman men. The, one, the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Are these high qualifications? What's the difference? The only difference, the only one not mentioned is apt to teach. Deacons don't have to be good at teaching. They have to be good at serving. And they have to be people with integrity and character. And by the way, that these two things are given to leaders as qualifications doesn't mean like, oh, cool, I can get drunk. And I can sleep around and I can be a person that's not blameless. Is that true? No. This is for all of us. These are good things for all of us. So we pray for their character. We pray for their wisdom. The second prayer request for leaders flows out of this need for good character. Godly leaders need wisdom. So we pray that God would give wisdom as they face temptation, as they lead, as they serve, as they lead their families, and as they deal with people. A third request, so we have character, we pray for their character, we pray for their wisdom, we pray for their safety. Look at verse 19. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. Why is he asking them to pray? He says that I may be restored to you the sooner. He wanted them to pray for them so that they could come back and have spiritual fruit among them, which leads to the last one I'll mention. Character, wisdom, safety. Here's the last one, success. Success. What I'm not talking about here is like financial success. That's not it. What we're talking about, I, I believe with all my heart that the local church is tasked with helping people grow spiritually and with equipping people for life and ministry. Our, our goal for you as a, as a ministry is, is, they're bringing me another one here. Our goal for you as a ministry is for you to take the ministry that God's given to you and for you to go do that. You're not dismissed. Hello? I I believe that this means that the local church should grow in its capacity to develop and deploy great commission leaders throughout the neighborhood and into the nations. And this is not going to happen just through strategy. It's not going to happen just because we desire it to happen. It will happen as we are obedient to the word of God, and it will happen through prayer. 
It's God's desire for us to pray for our leaders and to pray for there to be an increase in leaders. Jesus put it this way. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. So then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This isn't just praying for people in so-called vocational ministry. This is a prayer for there to be people sent out to all nations, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. What's the first group of people that need prayer? It's leaders. It's pastors. It's those who minister with the word and an example. So what do we pray for them? We pray for their character. We pray that God would give them wisdom. We pray that in God's will, he would grant them safety. And we pray that they would have success in their mission to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That leads us to the second group that needs prayer. Ready? Prayer request for believers. For believers. In verses 17 through 19, he's been addressing leadership. Now he moves into a benediction that points to the best and great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father who works in us. Ministry is way bigger than any one person. Ministry is so much more important than any one person. It's as big as Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Men fail, Jesus never fails. Look at verse number 20. This is awesome. Now the God of peace. Now this is just like, so if you read this, slowly think about it. This will comfort your heart. This is his prayer that he's praying for his readers. Okay? believers. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Working, what's the next word? Working in you that which is well-pleasing in sight, in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. What a great benediction. We see three parties mentioned here. Who's mentioned? We, we see the God of peace. You guys see that? Raise your hand if you see God of peace. You got the Lord Jesus, also called what? The great shepherd. And then you have the, the great shepherd of the sheep. Who's the sheep? Raise your hand if you're the sheep. Yeah. This is talking about us. In this prayer, he, pray, he prays for the sheep. That's, that is those of us who follow the God of peace and our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He prays that God would do for them what he knows God wants to do from them. What, is God, what does the God of peace do in these verses? This is amazing. Don't get lost on this point. He resurrected Jesus from the dead. Jesus is greater because he died and he rose again. 
Jesus Christ is alive. When you go to God, you can go to God through him because he's alive. He's, he's on a, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He died for us and he rose again. You know what, when, when God rose Jesus from the dead, what he was saying is, when Jesus said it is finished, it really was finished. The debt has been paid. He lives and because he lives, we can live also. Does, does anybody out there need to hear that? You're like, they know it. They don't all know it. And even if they know it, they haven't obeyed it. You need to know it. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Do not get over that. Don't get over it. He says, the God of peace that brought again from the dead of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant. Not only did he resurrect Jesus, he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus and he has brought peace by sending Jesus Christ to die to appease his wrath. We can be at peace with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So what is the prayer request that he asks? He's like, this is the God I'm referring to. What, what am I praying? I'm praying that he works in you. 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 Perfect here doesn't mean to be completely ascent. He says, make you perfect in every good work to do as well. He wants to work in you. He says, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Perfect here doesn't mean free from sin. It means that you'll never mess, or never mess up again. It means that he'll make us without lack. He'll, he'll complete us. He'll mature us. He'll equip us. He works in us what he wants us to be. And when we become what he wants us to be, then the second prayer request can be answered, that he will work through us. Okay? First, God works in us, and as he works in us, then he works through us. If you're trying to have God use you to serve, but you're not allowing God to work in you first, you're doing it wrong. The best ministry that happens in your life happens out of the overflow of what God's already doing in you. There's a whole lot of ministry that gets done in churches by people who are doing out of guilt something they've been asked to do, and they haven't talked to God in a long time. You need to have God work in you so that when he works through you, it'll be what he wants you to do, and he can bless what he's having you to do. So he says, the prayer request is that he would work in you. Why does he work in us? To make us perfect so that he can work through us. He says, in every good work to do his will. If God's working in you, then you'll end up doing what he wants you to do. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. If he shapes us into who we will be, we will do what he wants us to do. As we do what he wants us to do, he shapes us into who he wants us to be. It's not either or, it's both that happen, and they happen one after the other, and then they happen simultaneously. And what happens when that happens? When God works in us, and then God works through us, then this third request can happen, that God would be glorified 
by you. That God would be glorified by you. It is through him that God perfects us. We're in him. We're pleasing in the sight of God because of the righteousness given us to, to us by Christ through his blood. It's so important that we understand. It's so important that we understand Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Over the next few weeks, as we lead up to Easter, we're going to go through some encounters with Jesus. Some things that he did that help us to kind of open our eyes to all that he's wanting to do through us in the next few, next few weeks. Then we're going to talk about Jesus telling the future. He's coming back. He's coming back. And, 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 and if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But, but he's also a holy God, and one day he's coming back to judge It's so important that we understand that Jesus is greater. He's better than anything and everything that was presented to us in the Old Testament. The sacrifice of lambs couldn't transform me from the inside out. The blood of bulls and goats could never make those who sacrificed them perfect. How can we be made complete to be and to do what God wants us to be and to do? It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the power of God who transforms us from the inside out through Christ that we can be perfected. We should believe on the greater sacrifice, the greater priest, the greater prophet, the greater Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. The great shepherd of our souls for our salvation. We should submit to the working of God in our lives to allow him to shape us. We should work with godly, word-filled, spirit-filled leaders who watch for our souls to help us grow in Christ. And we should pause and reflect on all that God has done for us in Christ. Read this last part with me as we finalize this teaching. Hebrews 13, 22, and I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. What does that mean? Be patient. Stick with it. You know what he's saying, kind of a little bit? Read it again. Read it again. Internalize what I've said. For I've written a letter unto you in a few words. So, so it's, it's not a big book. Go back and read it again. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty. Timothy got out of jail. That's pretty cool, isn't it? If he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you. Those are the, the elders, the pastors. And all the saints, they of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy. I hope you've been blessed by our study in Hebrews. I hope that after these many sermons, you're more convicted ever than ever that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. He's the son of God. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He's better than all the Old Testament symbols and pictures that were pointing to him. And so I want you now to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I do this 